The Single Tracks podcast is brought to you by TPC, the pros closet. Spring is the perfect time to upgrade, and TPC has an industry-leading selection of new and certified pre-owned bikes, plus frames, wheels, and accessories. Each certified pre-owned bike is inspected, tested, and serviced, and every bike includes 30-day returns. Visit tpc.bike forward slash singletracks and enter code singletracks40 to save $40 on every order over 200 That's the pros closet at tpc.bike slash singletracks and look for the link and coupon code in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Singletracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today my guest is Dr. Kristen E. Keim. Dr. Keim is a sports psychologist and a member of the U.S. Olympic Committee Sports Psychology and Mental Training Registry. She's helped countless individual athletes and teams achieve their goals using a holistic, strength-based approach to sports psychology. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. I'm really excited. Tell us a bit about your background. Did you uh, have a lot of experience as an athlete that sort of led you to the field of psychology? Yes. So, um, which I mean, I actually think that anything with movement, um, again, you know, what's the definition of athletics? Um, Mm. The ultimate athletes, I feel like, are dancers. And if anyone (laughs) has ever seen, you know, professional Alvin Ailey or even New York City Ballet or Mm -hmm. anything, um, yeah, that's especially even the men dancers. I mean, that is the epitome of like almost perfection of bodies and movement. Yeah, what was that? The eighties or the nineties that the football players yep. were doing ballet? Oh well, I went to University of Georgia and the and we just won the championship, right? Um yeah, they yeah. take dance classes. Really? So the oh yeah. Well and you look at you know, watch the watch some of those big dudes, they are flexible. You know, um, just like time trialists or or mountain bikers need to be flexible. You're not, you know, the more flexible, you know, again, it's kind of that human conditioning. So my history was in sports psychology um, because of kind of when I started dance and I started dance like four years old. And then Mm -hmm. my dad was very athletic. He was, you know, um, I mean, he did, you know. In New Jersey, so I mean, he like got to play like football at the <laughs> New York Giant. I don't know somewhere. So very athletic. My mom was a dancer, so we mm-hmm. kind of movement from the beginning was just a big part of our lives. Mm-hmm. And then some of my friends were really into tennis, and so I kind of went with them, and I I really enjoyed it. And so I kind of did dance at a very high level, but there was also a part of me that really enjoyed the competition aspect of sport, mm-hmm. and so I kind of continued that and ended up doing like um it was like junior state champion in tennis so when anything i kind of do i kind of go all the way in but i didn't <laughs> want to just be like vanilla i kind of like to do maybe in, in hindsight maybe i did too much because i never was like <laughs> the best at one thing yeah i wouldn't change it but it you know kind of especially when i worked with a therapist it was sort of like all right what's what's <laughs> kind of behind that yeah and and so then I did like I started the first women's uh, soccer team had to play on the boys with Tile Nine oh, wow. to kind of get that wow. yeah so I mean yeah again like there's a if you, you know, go to my website and you know want to listen to other kind of interviews I've done I I you know talk a little bit more extensively I try to tell a little bit of my story on the backside mm-hmm. and you know and basically I yeah I mean I went to University of Georgia on a dance scholarship kind of decided to be more focused on that part of me. And then when I graduated, that competitor side got a little bit, I don't know, just kind of like was lost. And so then I started riding my bike and mm-hmm. was like, oh, wow, I really enjoy this. I get to be outside. I don't have to be like in a studio. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed more of the community of kind of like-minded, goal-driven people who like to be healthy and, yeah. you know, eat well and, yeah, I mean, and that was really what drew me into cycling was just the the connection with people and getting to hear their story and their journey and then, um, you know, fell in love with it, you know, kind of got, yeah, just really and uh, enjoyed it and some of my best experiences. And to this day, even, you know, how we got connected, mm-hmm. some of my lifelong best friends I, I, I met through, uh, through cycling, uh, more focus on road. I mean, I did like, 
a few cross and mountain bike just for like kicks and giggles. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had a really horrible crash at the Torahila, which I don't know if anyone has never actually experienced a crash there because unfortunately yeah. very uh, prevalent at that race where I shattered my pelvis and had a concussion. Ooh. I was already getting a little kind of, again, I have this idea of like, once I get to a certain level, I want to move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I, I realized that maybe there's, I wasn't getting personally enough meaning and purpose from it. Mm-hmm. And so when I was healing, my mom was like, you know, you love to be the domestic. You love to help your teammates be their best. Mm-hmm. She was watching some show and she's like, there's this thing called like a sports psychologist. She's <laughs> like, I could see you doing something like that. And oh, wow. yeah, I mean, and that, that was it. I kind of looked it up and got on the phone and talked to someone and they said, you know, one of the number one programs in the world is actually in Pleasant Hill, California, John F. Kennedy University. And mm. within a year, I was starting. I moved out there, Denver, Colorado, and lived out there for eight years. And, wow. and I mean, that was my, that became my, my, I found finally, but this was, you know, mid, late 20s. I figured <laughs> out what I wanted to be. But if I hadn't gone through all the other kind of, identities um Mm -hmm. i think it's actually helped me be the best because i wasn't just a one note i had you know i've been many different high performance whether that was i mean even the ultimate of getting your doctorate right yeah yeah. you know it's a never-ending eight-year stage race is what i like (laughs) to call that so (laughs) yeah yeah very cool well so what are like some of the main areas where athletes face mental challenges and particularly if we're talking about like mountain bikers confidence that's an easy mm. answer okay which is the irony because i think a lot of people think well you're pro so you're confident but i, ha- I came up with a definition where it's autonomy plus efficacy equals confidence mm-hmm. and so when people look at that again it's it's that efficacious piece it's that autonomy it's you know the same idea that motivation is an emotion it's not something you can have all the time Mm -hmm. that's why it's good to take breaks that's why it's good to diversify i call it you know the more cycle centric you get the actually it does the opposite versus Mm -hmm. kind of spreading out and doing other hard things like in the off season i call it transition season because you don't really ever off I always like them to take art class, do something where you have a beginner's mindset Mm, Yeah, and you have to like train that. And it is training. I mean, none of us are born perfect and none of us are born to be, you know, the best Mm -hmm. and it changes and it shifts and, you know, to be your best, whether you want to be an Olympian or you just want to win, you know, your local race, Mm -hmm. it just like, you just can't show up and, hit you know whatever what it, they're empty you know i have athletes who are like well i have the numbers of chris Froome, and i'm like yeah but you're not wishing you're not winning the tour de france because <laughs> it's not just about the numbers and um, mm, yeah. which is another reason i love mountain biking sadly you know again especially with all the you know devices and all that kind of stuff it kind of would take away of that and so it actually takes away from the confidence because then people hmm. start to rely so much on external versus internal. Okay. And so that's what I've been trying to get people to get back to is that internal confidence, hmm. whether you're riding a bike or you're just waking up and believing in yourself. And if you don't believe in yourself, I mean, that, that's it. It's kind of the idea of, you know, putting on your face mask, right? You have to mm-hmm. put it on yourself first before you help anyone else. Right. And if you don't believe in yourself, I mean, then that, I mean, that's where it starts, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you yeah. can fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, the confidence and motivation are two that I think a lot of people are surprised. Mm. But that I would say that those are the, I mean, again, I've worked with people that have gone to the Olympics twice mm-hmm. who still struggle with confidence. <laughs> yeah. Now they're women. So, I mean, that also, you know, there's a lot of other things, culture, mm. gender, mm-hmm. environment, your village, yeah. which is something that is really big on like, you know, I call it, you know, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. It does. And that's okay. None of us can do anything alone. And if you're going to try to do it alone, you're never going to reach your full potential. Right. Yeah. And that is interesting that, that you say confidence. And I mean, it sounds like it's a lack of confidence, right? Like 
I could also see where athletes maybe have overconfidence exactly and oh, doing totally. these things like taking an art class during the off season. I mean, for me, that would that would bring me down it's a humbling. notch, right? You yeah, need that. yeah, it would it's, be like we all need a slice yeah. of humble pie. I mean, you know, yeah, I love the idea. Like my next kind of hashtag is do hard things, mm. and the more you do hard things, which I mean, I'll be honest, after struggling with severe chronic pain, rare disease for six years. Mm. I mean, I've done all kinds of crazy shit. I mean, I've mm-hmm. ridden a bike for, you know, I mean, I've ridden up the Gavia. I've done the Pyrenees. I mean, you know, I've done some hard stuff. That, that stuff is easy peasy compared <laughs> to anything or even get your doctorate. Right. Yeah. I mean, but in hindsight, that's, I know that that has helped my confidence to the point where I have to remind myself what it's like not to be confident anymore, mm. which sounds kind of an ego, right? Yeah, but yeah. there is healthy ego, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, ego, again, it's all about words and our language and the most powerful language is our internal dialogue. And yes, there's a difference between healthy ego, healthy internal dialogue and negative, but most people are not over most people, male and female, that matter, are under. Hmm. Interesting. Well, how common is it for athletes to incorporate like mental skills training and in, in working uh, with a sports psychologist? <laughs> no. Not enough. Oh, by no means. I mean, that's what really, yeah, again, it's not about me, but it's about us. And so, you know, I have people that reach out to me and I'll realize I'm like, well, that's great. You're working with me, but mm-hmm. we really got to dial in your training or mm. your coach recommended you, but this relationship ain't working anymore. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Or they need to work on the nutrition piece, mm. um, which I mean, you know, racing with hangry or bonking <laughs> is legitimate. I mean, I've been yeah. there. I've yeah. done it. I mean, I understand that. Um, overtraining is massive um, as well. You know, mm. are you training to train? Or are you training to compete? Very mm. different. You know, you're, again, it kind of goes back to that. Why, why are you doing something? Um, and why do you want to be your best? Whether that's, you know, competition or school or just being a good person or a good friend, Mm -hmm. you know, is getting back to our, our why, which, um, you know, I think that changes. So I think again, you know, every year it's important to look at your goals. I call them objectives. Um, again, language, mm-hmm. we, you know, we talk about resolutions and goals. And I think people just don't understand like how powerful that is to write it down and to be accountable, not only to yourself, but to your village as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, very underutilized, the mental side. I mean, even in 2023, like, yeah, if everyone, you know, my goal as a culture, especially as Americans is just like when you get insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone has a PCP. You may not go to them all the time. We need to have an environment where everyone, because, I mean, people don't know, but it is staggering how many people I work with, pro, not pro, who have contemplated suicide, mm. struggle with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. But I tell people and I, in an enduring way, because I have mental health challenges. I've suffered from depression. There's alcoholism, there's suicide in my family, it's highly genetic, Mm -hmm. but also that's what makes me who I am in a positive way because you're a little cray-cray if you want to go ride your bike for six hours. Most people (laughs) just want to sit on the couch and eat potato chips, right? Much easier. So you you learn about that as your strength and harness it and use it as an asset, but just like you need a coach or you need to read something about coaching. You just can't go ride your bike all day long. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that is still something, especially in American culture that is seen as a weakness and mm. it needs to be seen as your, as a strength and as an asset that you need help with. And that's not a weakness that just shows, like I tell people when they reach out to me, that is, that shows me that they're a strong human being is that mm. when they ask for help, versus what people think that asking for help is a sign of weakness. It's actually your, your greatest strength and your first step to mentally being what you need to be, to be your best, whether your best is winning a bike race or just being a really kind human being in general. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important message for sure. 
So one of the things I've been thinking about lately is this idea of mental toughness. And I think it's a concept a lot of mountain bikers can relate to, even if we're not necessarily like competitive athletes. So I want to know if you have any tips for helping people get through like a really tough workout or even just like a really tough part of a ride that, you know, you're just out on a Saturday and, and you're having a tough time. Like what, what kind of tricks or tips can people use for that? Well, first thing, I'm not a big fan of the idea of, and it's nothing against you because I say this on every interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what mental strength is or mental toughness. Yeah. Well, I mean, we try to put it in those terms, I guess, because exactly. we're athletes, no, right? Like, exactly. yeah, we know how to work our muscles, you know, yeah. Is the brain the same or not? Exactly. And that's, that's why I challenge people because again, what is mental tough, mental toughness to me is my client who is, because, you know, when you have a mental health issue, you got to mm-hmm. look at it as a chronic disease. Mm-hmm. People are never cured of an eating disorder. It's a yeah. mental disease. Huh. Again, it's not a character flaw. There's no, who the hell would want to be depressed and really take their life if they weren't <laughs> right. sick? The right. same with eating disorders. Who wants to be controlled? And, and you know, again, there's, there's everyone's journey is different. We, mm-hmm. we, we still have a lot to learn about the brain and we have a lot to understand about mental health in mm-hmm. general, but that's mental strength is that versus okay. completing a workout, not to like, again, apples and oranges. I just don't see them in the same. So when yeah, people yeah. think about their strengths mentally, that goes back to your why again. Okay. So. Your coach has you do five by whatevers. It's the same thing with like those dumb tests. <laughs> if an athlete is paralyzed by doing a test, mm-hmm. why do it? It's not proving anything. Yeah. It's actually probably taking away from their confidence, right? Mm-hmm. And they're using up so much energy and negativity that it, that's what holds people back versus what's their favorite workout. Now, yeah, you need to do some challenging things, mm-hmm. but again, it's just that why and and not being cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. So none of us are alike. Um, And that's why I really challenge athletes to, you know, you, you know, you can't have free coaching. You can't have free mental health. Like it's a service. It's a business. It's, Mm -hmm. but again, it can be something that empowers you to be great, not only in your sport. So when you're thinking at what's mentally tough, what does that mean for you? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So if you want to be able to get through a hard workout and that is going to be something that is hard for you and you want to get better at, then that's awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you keep having it like every year, it's taking you five steps backwards and you know, we're working on things. And I mean, again, it's the why, like, is it really going to make a difference? If your coach can't come up with your power numbers, not all that, then you don't, that coach needs to go to school or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I didn't have any of that. I trained off of perceived exertion, Mm. which I think everyone needs to learn that. It's the same thing. It's great. Get some external motivation. When's the last time you raced with, you know, a podcast though, right? Yeah. When's the last time you heard your breathing? That's not bad. If Mm -hmm. you're huffing and puffing up a climb that you never hear the huffing and puffing, then it's going to become a bad negative thing when you're racing because you're not (laughs) used to that right yeah yeah. what what i want athletes i'm not against the numbers but do you know what it feels like to ride your bike at whatever watts Mm -hmm. you know what is that internal dialogue what is it what does it feel like in your muscles in your lungs and reconnecting with kind of that again the the body and the mind and that and it's all related and so that's what i kind of look at when we Again, it goes back to how do we describe it? Yeah. What is the definition of mental strength? Mm-hmm. Which I like that a lot better. What is your definition of physical strength? And then, you know, what are you doing to get better physically? But what are you doing to get better with your skills? What are you actually doing to get better mentally? Because <laughs> you're yeah. not going to just get better because you want to. It right. takes work. It does. Yeah. And, and it's underappreciated, undervalued. I'm not a, the best fit for everyone, but you know, even just reading an article or picking up a book, you, I mean, you can gain so much by even just internalizing that you want to get better at something. Mm, even yeah. just that right there can cognitively flip a switch into us 
to get closer to our full potential. Mm. Yeah. And I guess I'm thinking too, you know, yeah, I'm glad you kind of provided that definition of mental strength um, and how that works. I mean, I guess I'm thinking more just like situational, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm in the middle of the ride and I'm on a really tough climb and I just want to stop. Like, I just want to give up. Yeah. And I know I've got, you know, miles to go and like, I'm never going to make it to the top. Well, because you just did a perfect example. Future thinking is anxiety. Past thinking is present. Mm. This is the whole woo-woo, shaboo-loo of meditation and mindfulness, which I love, mm. but again, it gets saturated. Okay. People don't understand what it is. Mindfulness is just being in the moment. Now, who would choose to be anxious or depressed, right? Mm. Yeah. So if you aren't worried about what it's going to feel like in the future, and you're mm-hmm. just focusing on where you're at right now with very clear objectives. Okay, so your coach has you do this interval today. Why? How many athletes actually understand why they are doing a workout? This Mm. drives me crazy, (laughs) right? Like, and if your coach can't tell you why you're doing something, please fire the coach, right? Like that is a big (laughs) red flag for me. I'm much rather, I have people who become their best coaching themselves, right? Mm. Because Mm -hmm. they have me. I could be a coach. I'm probably better than most coaches. I don't choose to do that, but we definitely talk about it. Just like I'm going to talk about your mental stress. It's all related. What are Mm -hmm. you putting in your body? How are you sleeping? Right. What is your job like? What is your family like? Mm. You know, um, I have a lot of, I have to help a lot of athletes, unfortunately, go through depressions. Sometimes they have to face that they're depressed and learn how to to be depressed. Sometimes you have to Mm. go through the fire to get to the other side. Divorce. Mm. I mean, you know, sadly, I've had many people have to get divorces, but it's because, again, we all evolve and change. And the more you work on yourself, the more you may realize, you know, that there's family or partners where you've just grown apart. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't support your goals and your dreams. And, you know, our environment shapes us Mm. bio, psycho, social, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where we start, right? Okay. So, When you're doing these workouts, the why, why are you doing this? And the more you have a why with specific mental and physical kind of reasoning um, and understanding and excitement, like you get to go train, you get to go ride your bike Mm -hmm. versus, oh, I've got to go do this. (laughs) Even if it, you know, it's going to hurt. If you can't have this, I get to and pain becomes your friend. Well, then I don't know why you're riding a bike or racing a bicycle because you're never, I mean, again, you're not trying to train to be healthy. You're training to be a competitor. And I, you know, that I'm not here to help people with exercise psychology. I'm here to help with performance psychology. Mm. There's a difference there too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I I mean, I think that's, I, I find myself kind of in that situation where, you know, if, living in the the present moment and like just focusing on like how you're feeling right now and not worrying about how you're going to feel. Exactly. It still be uncomfortable, but again, it's not paralyzing uncomfortableness. It's an excitement. It's a, Mm. I need, you know, you train hard and you race harder, but how many, I'd say 90% of athletes hit their best numbers in their training and not in their racing. Mm. And yeah. I don't, especially for mountain biking, when it's basically a personal time trial, yeah. right? I can kind of get it with road or cross because it's dictated by others. Mm-hmm. But unless you're racing, you know, Yolanda or someone who's really that much more talented. But again, they're talented because she knows how to ride a bike. She doesn't have to rely on just climbing as a mountain biker because she can school half the men and women or all <laughs> women and half even, you know, faster time splits than the pro men yeah, because she works every day on any challenge areas mm-hmm. and, and evolves. And I feel like that's, we get so wrapped up on numbers that we forget about the bigger picture right. and the specificity that's needed. So, you know, um, and it's different for everyone. I mean, again, I think, you know, that's the cool part of working with me is that, I, you know, especially when we first get to know each other and we're first working, is that sometimes we need someone who doesn't have any biases mm-hmm. in our village. And yeah. that's why I think it's healthy 
if someone really likes their coach, but they've been working with the same person for a while, well, then it's the coach's job to spice it up, right? Like, Mm -hmm. do they need to go take another class? Do they need to come up with some new workouts? Do they need to propose that you go, you know, I mean, the best, the best thing that any athlete could ever do mountain bike included, even though it is more of an American sport is move. I mean, the first thing, if you want to be the world's best is you have to move to Europe. I mean, and if you don't, then you're only going to be subpar because again, it's, it's the environment, it's the culture, it's the terrain, Mm, right? We just don't have anything in America that's going to be like what you're racing in Linzerheide or, you know, mm-hmm. all these other, you know, I work with downhill mountain bikers. And even if you live in, you know, North Carolina, it's still not going to be the same as, you know, racing any of those downhills in Ireland or Scotland. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Well, I want to talk about developing a winning mindset. I believe you use that sort of language on your website. That is a winning mindset is, you know, that's kind of that language of, again, what is winning, yeah. right? And so that's, I, I get people say, because like, I'll describe it as something, but what does it mean to you? Like, what first comes to mind when we hear language? And again, it, it all gets back to that internal dialogue. Right. Well, so for me, you know, in terms of sports, like what comes to mind is this idea of like positive visualization. Is that part of it? Is that like, kind of the current thinking on it or is there something more to developing a winning mindset especially when it comes to mountain biking well and you already do it i mean you wouldn't you you wouldn't even finish a race if you didn't do visualization so that's what people don't understand like Mm. i didn't understand it because as a dancer you know you're already like i I would i wouldn't be doing you know 20 fuetes if i didn't already see myself doing them right Mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it as a tool because it is so enriched because it is so correcting yourself. It's very humbling dance because you get yelled at from age <laughs> four on. I mean, yeah, it is, I mean, discipline to the nth degree, right? Which is great. And that's why I think it's, you know, as long as it's not creating, you know, eating disorders or body image, which I actually see that way more in cycling than I ever did in dance hmm. and oh, well. in male populations. Cause we have a huge issue with um, binge eating disorder in America, and especially mountain biking. And, you know, I mean, just the language of, you know, body image and mm-hmm. that you have to be a certain size and a certain weight, you know, it's, it, that's what, I mean, that is it. That's the entry gateway, unfortunately, to eating disorders and as a culture and especially in the evolution of sport. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and that all ties back to image and visualization. And one of my favorite projects was actually doing a huge research paper on, you know, imagery, visualization. And I always tell people, I love when we went to the, when we went to Olympics, um, I had some mountain bikers and I had road cyclists and triathletes competing my sister and I went and saw synchronized swimming and mm-hmm. it was fascinating because my history of working in uh, clinical psych was also my dissertation was on mild traumatic brain injuries, AKA concussions and mm-hmm. female athletes. And I was thinking, Oh wow. Like they, they must have, what do they, how do they train? Because they can't sit there and be doing these amazing dives all the time. That has to be doing centrifugal force damage. They don't, they spend more time, lying down on their backs flat next to each Mm -hmm. other visualizing their synchronized dives Mm, interesting if you take a string everyone can try this at home you put a bead on the end you look at the string you hold it by two little fingers and you visualize it starting to move it Mm -hmm. will move oh wow i'm not kidding you i mean i'm (laughs) all like a stuff but yes but, but that's the power of our mind, and, hmm. and that's the power of it being our kryptonite, which it is for most human beings, mm-hmm. versus our game changer and, and a weapon and our yeah. superpower. Well, is it like as simple, though, as like imagining yourself like on the top step of the podium? Like, is that what we're talking about? Or is it like imagining your every pedal stroke or like what's kind of the level of detail or like, give us an example of that's where it's important where to work on someone. It needs to be a script. It's just like an actor, Mm. you know, um, or a musician having to, you know, the better they understand their instrument, but the more they 
play the guitar or the, mm-hmm. you know, the accompaniment. I think the first thing is figuring out, are you watching it like a movie or are you behind the handlebars? And sometimes you can mix it up, yeah. but we all kind of do it. So I think what it's again, kind of what is that internal dialogue? How do you visualize? Mm. And there is no right or wrong. I take what you do innately, but you have to, but it has to become an actual tool and a training. Okay. And I don't think people understand that. Just like words are powerful. I have a lot of people that use, we call them keywords mm-hmm. or quotes. I mean, I have one athlete I've been working with for years. And we have like this long text of all these photos of mm-hmm. famous quotes. And, and that's the, I mean, that's what has helped them. And so when they're in a hard place, they, you know, I mean, I have one, it's funny cause she wasn't very um, aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so as a joke, we started saying like, you know, we put KB on the back of her number and people didn't understand what it was. She did. It means kill bitches, which I mean, <laughs> it's hilarious because it was the wow. opposite of how this person yeah, yeah. is. But it's just like I have road cyclists that would, you know, warm up to the most nastiest rap music ever Mm -hmm. because it became like this alter kind of ego of Mm. putting on someone else's skin. But they would visualize that person and that Mm -hmm. performance. And so I think that's, again, seeing being an athlete as putting on a costume. People complain. I hate it when movie stars complain because I'm like – well, this is what you signed up for. It's an entertainment. So is sport at the end of the day. Yeah. It's an entertainment. If you didn't have fans or sponsors, you wouldn't have bike races. If you didn't have bike races, you wouldn't be racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, it, But it all does tie back to that visualization of, of see what you believe and believe what you see. And that's why it's good to have role models. It's good to, mm-hmm. you know, who do you... Who's your favorite athlete? So it doesn't have to be cyclists, right? Mm-hmm. Who inspires you? It, you know, it's so awesome to have a bunch of U23 guys. I was given a talk and all they ever did was mention, you know, Kate Courtney and Aaron Hook and all these women yeah. as they, the people they looked up to. Yeah, that's and cool. I just thought that was awesome because it's yeah. like, yeah, you, don't, you know, they aren't, they're, you know, if anything, they train harder and smarter because, you know, again, it's, they understand that it takes a village. They understand that they want to work on their mental health. And yes, I mean, culturally it's not that women have more issues. It's that we have allowed women to feel like they can ask for help. And now the next Mm. step is to let men and males understand that, you know, they can be their best too, by asking for help and working on visualizations or their internal dialogue and, um, and letting it be more accepted, which is, you know, it's something we, we need to work on bigger scheme. Um, because again, it's not equitable that there's more, it really doesn't matter about the gender. It Mm -hmm. it has more to do with the, that the human being and that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great message. One of the other topics I want to talk about is motivation. And for me, again, like the context that I think about this is like, you know, the days when I'm like, oh, you know, I feel like I should go for a ride, but I don't want to for whatever reason. So it could be a training ride or it could be just general fitness. So so how how should people look at that and how should we kind of think about that in terms of staying motivated? It is an emotion. So the minute your brain goes, coulda, shoulda, wouldas, Mm -hmm. then most likely less is more. Don't train. (laughs) I always say, unless you know that you're, you know, tired again, the athlete knows themselves. I rarely have anyone that's under, and if people are under training, they're Mm -hmm. probably depressed and don't need to be training or racing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, right? Mm-hmm. Most people overtrain and are overdoing it. And so it's an idea of I rarely have people that aren't. And if they are kind of coulda, shoulda, wouldas, it's usually because they're depressed and they're overtrained. Mm. First step. Like, it is legitimate, especially in an endurance sport. I would say, I, you know, to be very honest, it's gotten better because I've, I've been working with enough athletes where now – you know, there's no reason for women to go ride their bike for five hours when their race is 
two and a, or an hour and a half, right? Yeah. Like that make any hmm. sense. Now I get it from the stand because I'm. I know there's gonna be coaches that just hear that and think you know very black and white. I'm like, no, I, I get that they've got to be able to get their endurance up, mm-hmm. but there is that phase to when they're you know been racing for ten years and they're thirty years old. There's no reason. I mean, my best athletes that went to the Olympics, won a Giro, all that stuff. They have never raced, trained over five or I mean three hours. <laughs> Yeah. Because their races weren't even ever. And if they were, it's the same thing. I ran marathons. I never ran an actual marathon before I ran the marathon. And <laughs> right. almost, Good point. you know, made it to Boston. Because you don't have to. And I think that's it. Is that mad the magic gets used up in training. Mm-hmm. And then that takes away from your motivation. Because your brain doesn't differentiate between, oh, I was taking a week of exams. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, if you have exam week, there's no training. Like you, you know, go ride for fun, go do a coffee shop ride or don't ride even. I hate coffee shop rides. It's like, again, is that really what you need? Or do you just need a day to sleep in and sit on your ass and study all day? Right. Maybe that's (laughs) what you need. Well, it's the, it's interesting because you're saying the opposite thing that people are overtrained. And I think, you know, for a lot of us, we do say that, you know, we're like, I don't want to go out for a ride. And then we go do it. And we were like, oh, actually, I felt good. Like, I'm glad I did. And so, yeah, like, are we wrong, though? Should we listen to ourselves more when, when our yes. brain is telling us, you don't, you shouldn't go for a ride today or you shouldn't do a hard one? Yep. Well, again, if your job is to be a pro athlete, your happy place cannot be riding a bike. Hmm. End of story. Yeah. That's kind of sad. My athletes <laughs> that were their best, but that's, but that is really what I have to teach people, hmm. you know? It's my best athletes don't ride bikes really anymore. Hmm. They lo- I mean, they do love to ride because you're never going to be your best if you don't enjoy it. But their whole life isn't cycle centric. Okay. You know, they don't, they're not going to get over depression by riding their bike. They're going to get over depression by going trail running, walking their dog, mm-hmm. taking a yoga class, riding, watching a movie. I mean, my big yeah. escape is movie. I love books. I love, I need, I need an escape. I need something that is not going to be dictated because, again, your brain gets addicted. I mean, it really does to movement and exercise and that euphoria. Um, but, again, it you know, if you're always using up that bucket, then when you get to a race, your brain's going to be like, well, we just did 40 hours of <laughs> training. I'm tired. I don't want to do right. this. And then you don't have a good race. And then what does everyone think? Oh, I need to train more. I need to train harder. It's like, no, maybe you just need to train less and smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, everyone's different. So if you're, if you need a mental health break, it's not as much about riding as much as it is sunshine and movement. Mm. You know, no one's going to feel much better about riding their trainer in a cold, freezing dungeon, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you might feel a little bit better, but that's not why most of us got, that's why you know, I never trained on the trainer. I hated the trainer. I would rather go run in the snow in Boulder mm-hmm. than ride a trainer. Right. But that was me. And I had my best seasons. But when I tried to succumb to the trainer, I actually got burned out. And then I let, you know, it led to overuse injuries and plagued by injuries. And finally, I mean, you know, it was great education. Because I think, you know, the stuff that you're not going to learn in a book, you have Mm -hmm. to go through. So, you know, yes, I want you to go out there and ride with other people and and feel better. And, yeah, maybe you go out there for 20 minutes. But if you're doing 20 minutes and you're feeling like you're empty, you're hollow, you're stressed, Mm -hmm. it's not helping, turn around and go home. That's how I look (laughs) at it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's not worth it. Tomorrow, you could be crushing it and and set your best numbers. That's what we want. We want the magic to be in the races. And, but you don't want to burn up all the magic because you got so rigid with comparing of what others are doing, right? You and your coach have to figure out what makes you click, what makes you your best. And, you know, that's, that's, I mean, for me, that's what's exciting. Mm, Yeah. You know, that, that journey, because if you don't question it and you don't figure out what 
stokes your motivation because it is a very personal thing. Yeah. And it, and then that it is the basis of confidence as well. Hmm. Yeah, so I wanted to get back to confidence cuz you mentioned that's one of the main challenges that a lot of athletes face and in mountain biking specifically, I think a lot of us we tend to lose confidence after a crash. So, what's a good way to get back after a crash? How do how do you start to to build that confidence back up? Well, you know, performance and, and injury, unfortunately, is a reason a lot of people start working with someone. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people, like, the minute you get injured is, again, it is almost like a blessing in the skies for you to hit ground zero and mm-hmm. start back. Like, I always, whenever I get sick or injured, I always see it as a positive because then I get to go back and work on the basics and the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I teach people. It's like, all right, well... For me to get really good at descending, I actually learned how to ride on the wheel of pro mountain bikers down, you know, really scary road mount like bikes, mm-hmm. you know, on the, on a road. But I learned to look out. You know, no one teaches you that. You kind of have to just do it by osmosis of learning how to do it. <laughs> and every time I would have an injury, I would have, you know, I'd have some issues riding close to people because I'm human and mm-hmm. you know I have so many road cyclists who have great numbers and they're good athletes but they don't know how to race in a peloton they don't take the time to work on that it's a skill set we're not all dutch we're not all <laughs> you know born with a loose screw and and can just bomb ourselves down especially americans cuz you're not you know you weren't 3 years old <laughs> you know learning how to ski down the alps or something yeah, right yeah. So it's something you can learn and get better at, but you have to work at it. You have to condition. And so the minute you get injured, you already need to be able not to see it as like, I'm going to be bad at something, but say, okay, now I get to really rest and I get to work on those challenge areas. And I would Mm -hmm. say every athlete, especially mountain bikers, needs to work at descending and skills because you are not a climber if you get to the top and you don't know how to get back down. And utilize and learning how to use your energy. Again, okay, yeah, you were the first to the top and you're so cross-eyed that you're going to be worth nothing on the other side versus having the patience and the confidence in your ability to ride your own race and climb your own climb knowing that you're going to be able to pass them on the scent or pass them through the feed zone or, you know, whatever. When that ties back to, again, confidence, knowing your plan, having a strategy, visualizing yourself, doing these very specific objectives. Hmm. Yeah. It's all connected. Well, so that idea of like this holistic approach to sports psychology, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering, is is happiness connected to athletic performance? Like, is there a correlation? Oh, God, yeah. Well, that's why, as a joke, one of my first clients, I would say, you know, happy racers go faster. And he said, Dr. Khan, there's this thing called hashtags. He says, that needs to be your hashtag. <laughs> and so if you go to my website, my T-shirts, it is. It's, you know, do hard things is my new one. It takes a village. Happy racers, you know, go on, you know. Hashtag happy rates go faster and it'll come up with probably every athlete I've ever worked with, and, oh, wow. you know, um, and my Instagram and my, you know, whatever. But it, again, it is true. It's not just some colloquial thing. Think about it. You know, it's not just a happy, happy human. It's the human side of sport is my other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a happy human, then you're going to be a happy athlete. You can't be a happy athlete unless you're a happy human. And, Athletes are human. They have issues. They have problems. They have mental health challenges. They have relationship challenges. They have identity challenges. They have, Mm -hmm. you know, work challenges. But it's being able to face those challenges, admit them and work on them that help these help us evolve Mm -hmm. because none of us are perfect. And it's about progression, not trying to be not perfection, but progression. Yeah. And yes, happiness is it. And, you know, again, what is happiness? My hat, what makes me happy? Not being in chronic pain anymore. I don't ever yeah. care if I don't ever ride a bike again. I don't, you know, I don't care if I don't ever get married, have kids, right? Like, because that's what brings joy and, and meaning and worthiness and 
purpose. You know, it brings me meaning and purpose. And I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids is <laughs> I get to be a sports. I get to be a therapist. I get to help people achieve their dreams. And I can't mm-hmm. think of any more privileged thing that I'll ever do for the rest of my life. That's great. It's interesting because you see people like on the podium after a race, like the the winners, and obviously they they always look very happy. But I I wonder, you know, how many of them are the the top racers? Are they the happiest ones? Or you know, I mean, it's not it's obviously not one to one. Well, but then that's the other side is we call it the when the stars align. It's the individual zone of optimal function. Mm-hmm. Think about the last race you did well. Most people can't remember what happened, but you will forever remember that bad race. Mm, Yeah. But that's being in the moment. You're so in the moment that you don't remember. That's what you want. You want to be so in the moment you're not thinking. And that's kind of that, you know, that which is kind of a bummer, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that's kind of what you have to understand is that to be present, you may not remember perfectly what happened but you do remember the journey and Mm -hmm. so again that's not a cliche that it's about the journey and it's about surrounding yourself with people that inspire you that you can inspire that bring out the best in you Mm -hmm. and that help you transcend and find your own voice and your own magic and your own joy and your own happiness and you know and it doesn't have to you can be your best and actually enjoy and all my athletes when they retire you know it wasn't the winning the giro it wasn't you know going to the olympics favorite race was when they first got their top 10 or something right like it's not winning the win was beating their future husband up a climb (laughs) and then later on this 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 you know amazing human being sadly dies of cancer Mm. Mm -hmm. but you know this athlete would never have been where they are without this human being falling into their life yeah and you know and and their marriage to this day is probably one of the most beautiful stories and privileges i mean and he became both of them became lifelong friends of mine forever and you know Mm. and we went through some hard shit because it you know, whether you want to become a doctor or an actor or an actress or a pro athlete, anything that you want to be the best at is going to be hard and uncomfortable. But it's through that that you is the only way that you're going to be your best. Mm. It is, yeah. um, you know, but that's and the only way you're going to make it through is by having a supportive village where you believe in yourself and you believe in the people around you and most days you want to be out there and the bike and racing brings you joy and you're doing it for the right reasons. Not just because you have to, or you should, it's because you want to and you get to. Yeah. Yeah. It's all connected. Well, the last question I want to ask you about, you know, you obviously have been a competitive athlete, uh, pretty much your whole life. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious based on all that experience and then also just what you have learned and know about sports psychology, do you get nervous before races or competitions? Oh my God, dude, I am a nervous wreck. I can't even watch. (laughs) Like I never watched the end of my races. I mean, I was at worlds when Megan got third place and I missed the whole race. Mm -hmm. Like I literally was sitting there running around like, like a mom. Um, Oh yeah. Like I was at worlds when Kate Courtney won and I couldn't watch. Like I couldn't Mm -hmm. watch. I was like, Oh my God, I can't watch. I can't watch. (laughs) Yeah. Like running around screaming. Like I just, But because I just, I care. And again, I'm, you know, I may not be a be- the best fit for everyone, but, you know, if anyone, if any athletes reach, please reach out again. Like I am taking new clients. It is a privilege. Even if I'm not a good fit, I will help you find mm. what you need. But again, like, I guess the two ball horn is that I have gone through really hard shit Mm-hmm. that is stuff you just do not learn how to do. And I've started my own business. I help with career counseling. I help. I love college students. I love, you know, I'm a feminist, but half my clients are men, right? <laughs> like yeah. I, you know, I mean, that's it. Like I, 
again, I, I love what I do. I'm passionate. I don't work with just endurance athletes. You know, I love basketball. I love sports. I love dance. I work with musicians. I work with actors. I, I mean, if I could do anything right now, I'd probably want to become a, a you know, a theater or film star or get back <laughs> to dance. Right. Like, yeah. you know, but then I just rode my Vercomet bike and, the whole time I'm riding it, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, now I'm going to turn it up. And, you know, I just get back to that, like, athlete, athlete right? I couldn't even mm-hmm. walk a, a month ago, basically. Oh, my goodness. And now, you know, I'm uh, on an interview and I'm working with clients and, and I have to remind myself, oh, my God, Kristen, like, you could barely even talk. You didn't even know where you were. I couldn't even tell you what year it was. I had a birthday in the hospital and didn't even realize I turned, oh, no. you know, 43, right? So, wow. but that's it. I have. 43 years of overcoming not only for myself, but I have had the opportunity and the privilege to work with some of the most amazing human beings, whether it's to win worlds, which I have many world champions across different sports to just, again, you know, I I, I love working with people that just want to finish their first mountain bike race Mm -hmm. or even just get healthier with their body, you know, and their mindset. So you you don't have to be pro and you don't have to be pro to feel like you need to work on your performance with a sports psychologist or just a therapist, Mm. you know, because at the end of the day, if you're having mental health challenges, you don't need to be training and and competing. You got to work on that first. Mm. And that's, you know, I have a lot of athletes where I'm like, all right, if we don't get this eating disorder under control, you're not competing. Yeah. And I mean, that that can be a powerful motivator for them to work on themselves because they they want to get back to it. But they, you've got to be physically and mentally healthy because think about it. I mean, again, who wants to be a start line, right? <laughs> like every day. I mean, yeah. I couldn't pay me to go compete again. I mean, I, I'm like, no, I, I live vicariously through all my little athletes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been That's there, great. done that. Don't need that stress anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, clearly you're passionate and uh, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time to help us understand sports psychology and mental health, um, especially. Oh, anytime. I love it. Like I said, I could talk about it all day long and yeah, people are like, you need to you know, do your own podcast or write your book and, I've learned, I'm like, you know, that's great, but it, that's, I'm, you know, right now I'm too busy actually working with humans. One day <laughs> I may not be able to do that. So, you know, those are definitely goals that I'd, I'd have, but, you know, I think about some of the most famous authors didn't write their first book to they're in their sixties or seventies. And I said, <laughs> I don't have enough stories. I don't have enough experience because life is your ultimate, um, you know, kind of, yeah degree or class so yeah i need especially as a therapist um i'm excited to see where i'll be in 10 years yeah yes we're excited to to see that as well well listeners can connect with dr kime and find out about the services she offers through kime performance consulting at kimeperformanceconsulting.com and we'll have that link in the show notes so we've got this week we'll talk to you again next week